Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferencecom slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 41. This week's intro is inspired by the interview, as most of them are, but this one's inspired in a different way. To keep a long story short, there were some technical issues while we were recording the interview. I'm actually shocked that we're 40-some interviews in at this point, and this is the first time I've run into an issue. So, how did a technical issue inspire an opening? Well, here's how. Mid-interview, there was some signal loss and hiss that would intermittently come in and out. And to confuse matters, I was also using a new online service to record the interview, so I was a little bit in uncharted territory. So my gut told me to pause and be sure this was not an issue that was getting recorded. But my overthinking brain told me, hey, don't interrupt the guest. This is probably just an internet speed slowdown thing, resulting in reduced playback quality. Well. I overthought myself right into a up. Eventually, Signal dropped out entirely, and we stopped to troubleshoot the issue to find that it was actually the guest's mic preamp, and that all the issues were indeed being recorded. I should have trusted my initial gut instinct. And that's what I wanted to talk about a bit. Trusting your gut. Now, it might sound like something cheesy that your parents have probably said to you, but honestly, I can't think of a time that my gut was wrong. I can definitely think of all the times I ignored it and regretted it, though. I challenge you to take a moment and think of a time that your gut was wrong. I'll wait. How'd you go? Did you come up with one? I'm guessing probably not. So if that's the case, why don't we immediately trust our gut? What part of our brain wants to always overanalyze and overthink a decision? There are studies and research out there that say things like, you know, our brain is always scanning more information than we're aware of and that it sends signals to us when it senses potential danger or problems. Our gut instincts are rooted way back to our early human survival instincts. Think of all the stories you've heard of people making a decision that saved their life based on a gut feeling. It's funny, though, because I've talked a bit on this show about how our brains like to be right and that you might find yourself avoiding certain thought processes that would maybe prove your mode of thinking incorrect or that you might avoid taking action that might result in you being wrong or having the potential for failure. So if that's the case, if our brain always wants to be right, then why why would we ever ignore our gut? Honestly, I have no clue. And that's that's not what this intro is for. I'm not trying to tell you. I can only give you my opinion. It might be that our gut feelings and instincts are deeper and more subconscious than everyday thoughts, and that your brain just feels left out and wants to participate in the decision making. And that's why you'll try to overthink the situation, even though your gut tells you to do or not to do something. So that's really about it. 
This intro is just a friendly reminder to always trust your gut. Go with your first instinct. Sometimes we all need little reminders like this. Think about how many times your first instinct when writing a song was the best. Or how about when you audition a musician for your band that immediately won you over even before you finished playing the first song. So whatever you're doing, whether you're making a big career decision, meeting a new person, reading a contract, or even something as simple as asking yourself, is that microphone working correctly? Always go with your gut. And before we jump into the interview, I just wanted to give a shout out to my buddy Dan Viafor, who did the cleanup on the majority of this episode. Any noise still left in here is from my hasty last minute cleaning to save a few lines that I thought were important to not cut. So thank Dan for this episode. He salvaged a lot of stuff so that I could get most of this really fun episode to be listenable and out to you all. Today's guest is composer, recording artist, and sound designer Cyrus Reynolds. In addition to releasing his own music, which is a unique blend of cinematic orchestration and modern songwriting, Cyrus has also had success in the world of trailer music, having music featured in trailers for Little Women, BBC's The Planets, The Americans, and video games like Assassin's Creed. He's a classically trained musician from London's Royal Academy of Music. He's had his music recorded by the Philharmonia Orchestra and the London Contemporary Orchestra in classic studios like Abbey Road and Air. His collaborations have included artists such as Bonnie Iver's S. Carey and Novo Amor, and he's also contributed sound design for artists like Kanye West, Justin Timberlake, and Chance the Rapper. And it does not stop there. He's also helped design flagship instruments for the music software company Output, including Exhale and Arcade, and he's also recently debuted a trailer music masterclass with soundnext.com. So welcome to the show, Cyrus Reynolds. Hey, Cyrus. Hey, thanks for having me, Travis. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a, it's a special day here. It's like summer's kicked in and I'm just feeling all sorts of good creative feelings. <laughs> That's awesome. You're still like down the street from here. You're still in Pasadena? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. I'm probably like a few blocks from here. Nice. You know what's funny is, is I'm excited to hang out because we, uh, ever since we met, all we do is threaten to get together and it's never actually happened. <laughs> and so now here, here we are doing a podcast instead, but yeah. It's well, there's a little bit of contagion in the middle of that attempt as well. So That is true. That is true. <laughs> Normally, I just uh, send you uh, Instagram messages uh, talking about your two space echoes that you have that I will remain yes. jealous of. <laughs> but, um, dude, I wanted to say I was listening to your, your newest album, Night Phases, while I was doing, like, my prep. Oh, and cool. And it's been, like, uh, it's been a kind of a hectic day for me, if I were to be honest. And yeah. uh, it was perfect. Like, I think, would oh, you describe awesome. it as... Um, orchestral ambient mm -hmm. it's really good i Thanks, was uh, i was all about it it was perfect for the moment man so yeah that uh that album was a a really pleasant experiment for me to try to do something that i hadn't heard or tried to make before and kind of break the, my own rules really of like you know what am i making and and you know like what kind of mode does this need to fit into um, obviously I come from a, a very classical background and like, I always want to, uh, adopt that into anything I work on. Um, so I just feel really gravit like strongly gravitating towards that, that world. And, and I also have a lot of experience with like little boring subtleties, like what the different <laughs> strings on the viola sound like. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it has a, uh, a big importance in my life. So, um, but I really wanted to create something that felt like, um, something that took me away from, from the moment and also something that was pretty kind of rad technological experiment. And in that case, it was, um, taking live orchestral recordings that I had, um, this is also my first 
venture into recording my own music with orchestra, like kind of uh, funding that own process for me, which is a big leap in my kind of development. It's been a huge bar of entry for a long time. Oh yeah. Having to, yeah, kind of like sign really um, other, other kind of intense deals with companies or such, because it's not like, oh, hey, I made this in my bedroom. Here's some music. And then they're like, okay, cool. We're just going to put some marketing costs. It's like, oh, okay, well, we need to pay for this orchestra. So that's kind of been kind of the reason you see any of the things I've I've done is is kind of just a, been a justification for how to get an orchestral recording <laughs> funded for this project. <laughs> so in a way, that's kind of how I stumbled in the trailer music because um, I found that companies were quite excited about having orchestral music on their um, on their labels and on their roster, and uh, I very much wanted to record some in, in a new kind of modern way, of course. And they're like, okay, well, we can justify this if we get a bunch of, get a bunch of cool syncs out of this. So <laughs> that's kind of how how we are. So this is a really special moment for me to like take a very personal, non profitable um, artistic experiment for myself and fund something that tried to kind of move the needle forward. And in, in my opinion, and. So this was taking these live orchestra recordings, which I kind of scored out. I like to call it um, kind of like compositional improvisation. It's kind of like a stream of consciousness process where you're just writing all in one go, like maybe a day and just writing something. And you have kind of some limited rules to write by. And uh, so I kind of created these different rules and systems and just wrote pieces really quickly. And in the same way that like someone like comes up with an idea in their brain and then like blows that note into the sacks. Like it was, a little, you know, <laughs> kind of just getting into pen and paper and not like being able to go back or restructure things, but just like just moving. And, and, uh, and only that was only because of deadlines. It sounds really cool, but it was just like, oh shit, the, um, the sessions tomorrow. Um, but it worked out really well. And I, you know, whenever I went back and I was listening, um, I was like, uh, I couldn't have done this in any other way, just being forced to, to create. Uh, like this in, in in my particular mode. That's super cool. Anyway, so taking those orchestra recordings and processing them um, in a way that feels almost kind of, well, it's it's very, very much integrates with computer systems and almost AI, I want to say, like using kind of entirely random parameters uh, all the time to as much as possible emulate human tendencies to like search for like randomness and you know, in nature as well, if you just stare at a tree, you know, everything's perfectly bi-directional and, and moves in different ways. So I think we're always trying to get back to nature when we're creating music. So yeah, that was a really big thing is like, how can I get this computer to basically in a granular way, look over this recording and, and disperse it uh, in all these different directions, create new melodies, new harmonies, um, new structures for it. And yeah, I was really psyched how it turned out. That's cool. So how... Those orchestral recordings, how different are those from what I was just listening to? Like, would I recognize them? No, no, no. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, some of them, one of them was a, a live performance I had done, uh, and that's kind of what started the whole idea, was like the salvaging sort of, uh, just kind of bad <laughs> moments or <laughs> recordings or opportunities <laughs> into something good. I think that's how a lot of really cool kind of things happen. That's cool. Uh, I, had a, I had a performance that was done and it wasn't that great i wasn't happy with it but i did a lot of work there's a lot of notes in it there was just all this incredible like almost like baroque type like dancing string lines and it was it was basically a uh string quartet concerto for orchestra so the string quartet was out front and they were playing their 
their parts and they were sitting there uh, playing these incredibly like overlapping and canonic lines and then the orchestra was like kind of chugging beneath them but uh, in the end it just kind of it, it was okay but it was it was uh it just wasn't a lot of rehearsal time anyway it turned out kind of rough um <laughs> and I started experimenting with it and I think it was that like uh desire to be a little bit sacrilegious with it not being precious because I hadn't sort of dumped a lot of money into it yet and I just was something I recorded with a live group I thought well this could really be manipulated into something really cool so I started creating different inputs and using a lot of granular synthesis on that recording and it created something really special because the whole pieces that I was writing was written as kind of a drone in a way. It was all like really intense, like lots of writing, lots of notes, but it was all kind of in D or G or like, you know, playing with the subdominant or the tonic. It was pretty kind of basic harmonic language. So right. it was able to really kind of pick that up and, and make these fluid pieces by all of a sudden flipping from one end of the composition to the beginning to the middle in like a split second and just combining these different notes. And yeah, I just hadn't heard anything like that. And it, yeah, it's just kind of like a... Um, uh, an approach to music in the way you look at modern art, like, okay, well, we don't have to paint on this canvas. We could actually make a mobile or a sculpture or something, or maybe it's yeah. just this like waterfall in this dark room or something. And yeah, just kind of <laughs> taking that concept. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I only laugh because I, some of the, the, the modern art that I've seen at like the MoMA or something, there's like that, the one time I was there, I walked in the first floor, and I, I, I just, it's so bizarre. I can't, it doesn't click with me. But then there's, there's other levels that are just amazing. But your, your music, obviously, I thought that was amazing. Um, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different approaches, isn't there? You know, I, it was really interesting to me as people, um, do you know Stockhausen at all? Not really, no. Karl Heinz Stockhausen. Um, he, he was very much dreaded when I was studying music. Um, he was an early pioneer of electronic music. Okay. Uh, very early, like uh, 60s into the 70s. So think like a really just nasty Brian Eno kind of vibe, you know, just really <laughs> aggressive textures yeah. and bleep loops. But I saw um, some, someone was releasing a plugin, which was like they modeled like Stockhausen's preamp. And it was like, that was it. And it just had like two knobs. And it was kind of cool. Like <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But he was very experimental. Um, there's another composer, um, Zanakis, a friend of mine uh, has been telling me it was like also an early pioneer of the concepts that go into granular um, granular guitar pedals. So this guy's mm. concepts and theories, he was actually an architect and then a soldier in one of the world wars and he lost an arm, I think, and then oh, kept wow. composing after that. Um, what's some really, really wild music, but I think he was kind of an, also an early pioneer in, in that. So anyways, I'm, my point is there's a great <laughs> book about why we... Why, as human beings, we love Rothko, but we hate Stockhausen. And it's a really, uh, I saw it in a bookshop once in a museum, and I thought that was absolutely fascinating. I took it home uh, and, and read read some of it. And uh, it's just, it's interesting, like, it's kind of like Lady Gaga, right? Like, you can have her music videos sit there and, and be, like, the most wild. There's, like, skulls getting smashed, and, like, there's, it's just, like, yeah, it's a combination of, like, sexuality and, like, like the macabre and just like wild shit going on. And then musically, it's just like dance pop, you know? And yeah. like, people are like, oh my God, this is like high art or is it pop art? Or like, this is really cool. And uh, yeah, so in a way it's funny. We have different like sensitivities to like what we can, 
like to be experimented upon, right? Like, do you break those fundamental rules of music? Oh, totally. Well, I think uh, when you have two things that are like really juxtapose each other and you can combine those well, that I've worked with a lot of people that combined, you know, genres that probably shouldn't have been put together, mm. who had amazing success or made amazing music. And I mean, it's basically what you're talking about. And, and when those things click and like the listener or the audience or the viewer or whatever kind of like connects the dots of like, oh, this is that thing I love. And then this is that other thing I love. But then, man, they put this together in a weird way. It's like, it's like familiar, but completely unfamiliar at the same time. Yeah. You know? It's like yeah. Lil Nas X, right? Like yeah, how, exactly, how yeah. crazy was that? <laughs> and that, that panned out well. Totally. Okay. So let's go back. What are your musical roots? Obviously you went to um, Royal Academy of Music, which I'm sure mm -hmm. is highly competitive, but what got you to there? Like, where, did you play when you were a kid? Musical family? Yeah, I, I came from a, a small, like, rural suburb of a uh, small city, Rochester, New York, upstate New York. And, um, like, kind of musical family in that my dad was, like, had played some horn and, and classical guitar and had an interest in, like, he just had a real love for listening to music. And it was always playing uh, classical music around the house. And, you know, like in addition to like the Beatles and other like 70s hits or whatever. Yeah. Um, but just a lot of classical music and just being around it, I think really kind of broke that barrier of familiarity with it for me that like, um, I don't feel like nostalgia in, in a way that like connects me to my childhood or in, in a, like a pleasing way where I'm like, oh yeah, that brings me back. It's just like, it broke a barrier of like, you know, uh, familiarity of like, getting excited when a certain, you know, symphony comes on or the certain elements of it. Anyways, I, uh, in school, you know, you all have to play an instrument and I picked the trombone. I thought it was a tuba and I played it anyways. And then I just worked really hard at it because it was this thing that I could sort of apply myself to and uh, get results out of. It was really kind of, you know, exciting. It was like this like little tiny kind of ladder you can climb in your small town to your county to your state and, and so on yeah right yeah so i just kept doing that until sort of like eighth grade i had my first experience like playing in an orchestra it was the hawk sign youth symphony in rochester new york and it was the coolest fucking thing ever it was just like you get to sit <laughs> in the back and kind of hang out with your friends and wait around you know for 20 minutes and then you just like play the most like heroic epic like moments in all of these uh, symphonies <laughs> and it was so exciting. And then we did some touring in France and I discovered, you know, some of Europe and I was like, this is so amazing. People love classical music over there. Um, we were playing concerts in these churches and people were like being brought to tears and we we're just like a, you know, te young teenage orchestra. And I just kind of saw the emotional effect that the cathartic effect that music can have. And I just wanted more of that. Yeah. And so I, I kept going and at that point I had to kind of choose between playing soccer and doing music but um i mean for being completely honest i was a pretty shit soccer player um <laughs> <laughs> so i uh i just says okay let's do music and uh i think for about two years from like 16 to 18 i just worked really hard at it i said i'm i'm going to do this for a living and then i went to um the eastman school of music um and and got into there which is i was very fortunate it's a very very good school like internationally and just happened to be my very small little hometown and uh and everything was kind of familiar, you know, all the orchestral concerts that I was going to as a kid, you know, I was now playing in them. And um, I knew I sort of needed some something more from that. So I started taking a look at Europe and what kind of schools and orchestras were over there. And I really wanted to go to London um, to study there because all of the faculty there were incredible. There was like 
the principal players of the Vienna Philharmonic, you know, London Symphony Orchestra, all the top players in the world uh, were just kind of on faculty. And that was kind of really unheard of in the States. You, you might get a guy who, you know, maybe did a couple of years in the National Symphony or something like that in, in yeah. the States and then did teaching for 40 years, which is great. I am not no dig against that, but they were like kind of applied practical approaches to, to playing. And, but at that time, I was also transitioning to becoming a composer. I wasn't kind of getting enough of just being an instrumentalist. So um, out of some, a few like music theory experiments, I just started falling in love with writing my own music. So I started writing chamber pieces for brass. I wrote a, a piece for like 16 brass and organ. That was like a Sea Rose cover. That was really, uh, really exciting for me um, to conduct and perform. And so I took that desire and then I went to the Royal Academy of Music where I studied composition and London Astor started conducting all these kind of like all the different elements of what goes into like bringing an orchestral concept to life, yeah. which I really wanted to do. And then, and then when I got there, the whole time I was, it was kind of like my slightly, I mean, not to say emo phase, but like a little bit of like, you know, it's starting to reject the system a little bit and like, yeah. you know, saying like, fuck you, mom and dad. I mean, not, not literally, I love them, but, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, like rejecting your, your background or whatever. So I was listening to a lot of like Radiohead and kind of grungy guitar music and just like falling in love with the idea of the studio and just like learning and absorbing as much as I can. And when I got to the Royal Academy, I spent probably 80, 90% of my time in their studio. Um, they had this incredible studio. They had a Neve, um, I think it's called like an 88 VR desk. It's the same one they've got in Studio One and Abbey Road. And yeah. it was just so amazing, just like learning what every EQ knob. And I, not, and I was very fortunate too that like everyone there was like a really hardcore pianist or like solo violinist. So no one had any desire to like have a mixed career. They're just like, yeah, duh, I'm going to sign a record with Decca and just have a career touring Europe. So that was like their kind of approach. So there was a very empty space and all of my good friends here in Los Angeles were the other musicians that were bumming around in the studio and just kind of like <laughs> teaching each other how to uh, how to use the gear. And so they, I just everything, you know, learning the compressors, the 1176, the LA-2A, learning what these do and how they could be used for orchestral instruments was really fascinating to me. I think a lot of composers you know you get your spitfire instruments you load it up you or you record a solo violin you're like i don't know what the hell to do with this like it sounds good to me and then you're done with it and that's that's kind of only a starting point in my opinion i think there's a lot of composers who are figuring that out like olaf reynolds is a great one i don't know if you know his music at all travis yeah his stuff is great i really enjoy his stuff it's not just his music though right it's his way he records his music that is like 50 percent of his battle Oh yeah, it's, yeah. I it's don't... like his obsessive love of like the old compressors and the microphones and like the soft recording processes. And it's like that's what makes it really, really stunning. Yeah. It's kind of half the battle. It's like the whole image, the the the, the texture that you're painting with. So that's definitely uh, his. Uh, that's what s sets him apart. Is the the tone and the color. You just like it's yeah, the it's tone, you exactly. you notice it. You're like. This is different. It's similar, but it's different. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it really matters. Yeah, it does. It, it's unbelievable. So, if you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out.
I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Then um, while I was there, I was learning a as much as I could about the studio. And then I uh, had an opportunity to start interning at uh, Sleeper Sounds, which is a studio run by Guy Chambers, who's a songwriter producer in Los An- uh, in London. And he had his own studio, which was amazing. It was just like, it had like an Abbey Road uh, EMI desk in it and Fairchilds everywhere and like wow. Vincent Echo Rex and just like the craziest, coolest gear. That's awesome. And I was just staying like super late nights to like 2 a.m. well after everyone had left. And just like writing my own like little like ambient classical things into them, and it sounded so sick. <laughs> it was really cool, um, but I didn't really have a lot of creative confidence back then to release any of this music or like what I was doing or what my role was or any of that. But I was just constantly making it and tinkering, and then uh, just picking up as much as I could uh, about songwriting and in the production process, watching Guy do his process, or just kind of hang out for dear life on my own because. Uh, our jobs as engineers, and I eventually did work there as an engineer, it was just to facilitate the session and do drum programming and, and beats, which also I had no experience in at all. Of course, I said I did. And I also said I know how to use Pro Tools, too. Um, so <laughs> that's actually a funny story because they, they said, um, do, you know, do you know tools? And I was like, okay, um, what do they mean here? Pro Tools. I, I knew what Pro Tools was because we used to reco- use it to record um, over in the studio and, and the school, but I personally use Logic. I was getting kind of fluent with it, but Pro Tools was kind of scary, especially at that level where everyone's like flicking hot keys and recording, you know, like sending things. So we, you know, we'd have like, oh, it was pretty scary. You know, we had like Ed Sheeran <laughs> or Adele, and, and, you know, he's like, send that, you know, put a good plate on their vocal. And I was like, fuck, what do I do? <laughs> You're like, what's it going to oh, um, But I think. A guy also came from an orchestral background. I think he had a lot of either pity or patience um, <laughs> with my uh, with my background and and how much I knew and, and knew that I was a hard worker and would pick up things when I could and once I had the time and I just kind of filled in the blanks from there. But I did have to learn Pro Tools kind of to a sort of hotkey level and just enough to run a session sort of a weekend. I just like picked up the manual and just like did a complete crash course. That was really terrifying. Yeah. Um, well, actually, yeah, I, mean, I did that for. An, I'll go for it. I, I was just going to say it. That's like a, a common thread with a lot of people is that they, you know, they said they would learn something and and whatever. But the thing that I think uh, people don't remember is that you don't have to be the best person in the room. You have to be the hardest worker, the one that's willing to stay late to learn. Like, yeah, yeah. he could have had the other guy do it, but he still chose you to do it because he knew you would go shed it, and then you'd show right. up on Monday. And not make any of the mistakes you made on on Friday, you know. Well, I think that maybe that's giving me too much credit. It wasn't like an open audition <laughs> <laughs> where they said this guy's a hard worker. I think they just there's a familiarity with me, you know. And that's how it always works. It's like like Kendrick's, you know, drummer is like his cousin or something like that, and it's just like or a guy used to hang out with, and like just like people who are familiar to you that you can trust. Um, and yeah. I was a friend of a friend, and but then being able to stay there is is how you kind of define that and and that hard work really helps you kind of last in a position like that where you can just grow yeah i think every kind of like little ledge and plateau in my life has been kind of defined by those moments where i just had to just 
do a lot of, a lot of hard work and, and late nights, um, learning something I'm very uncomfortable with saying <laughs> yes to everything. You know, as we talked about earlier, the hustle period, yeah, that exactly. was very much my, my hustle period. Uh, you know, I remember I was like, so psyched too. Like I remember my salary back then was like 80 pounds a day, you know? And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Back then the exchange rate was pretty crazy. So it was actually like, it was probably like $120 a day or something. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> I'm getting paid <laughs> to do this. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, it was really formative. Um, and then after that, I, uh, moved to Los Angeles after my, my like working and student visa ended. Um, and, uh, moved to my wife, Lara, who's a harpist. And we kind of both naively just jumped into Los Angeles. Thankfully I had a, a job, um, that I applied for with a new company, brand new. They had like three founders, no employees yet. Um, it was called output and they had this one instrument called rev and they did like reverse samples and they had, they had some really great ideas and they had a lot of courage too, because everyone was saying, oh, you can flip a sample around in your DAW. This is so dumb. You know what you could, but it was this new concept of having a playable, playable reverse instrument of mixing different layers, built-in effects where you create presets and inspire a new approach or a new composition. And it, it was really great. So I, I joined with them and built a whole lot of plugins with them, like Signal, XL, Arcade. Um, and uh, it's been just a great journey figuring out with them of of like where is the edge? What are people craving to write with? What what where do people want to go? And trying to get ahead of that. So I think kind of my tendency to kind of uh, operate around sort of the fringe of 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 what's popular um, and and try to figure out things that excite me personally rather than kind of following the trends because it takes a good year and a half or two years to release, to finish a product. So, oh yeah, you know, if you're picking up an idea and, and making like, I don't know, you know, some, some idea that's, uh, you know, some sound that Olivia Rodrigo is using now, you know, and you start like, you know, and you do it like two years from now, it's not going to be cool anymore. But, uh, you know, it was like in, sort of that in the case when we did uh, with Excel, where I remember hearing like kind of, that SoundCloud generation of like Flume when he was kind of just first hitting SoundCloud in Odessa um, and the way they're manipulating samples, M83, um, yeah. much more popular example. Um, yeah, just got a lot of vocal sample manipulation and, and no one was really making any enablers to allow people to be creative in that, in that world. It was very much that like, oh, well, to manipulate your sample, you like chop it up like this and I can do it in Pro Tools in two seconds. And it wasn't about that. It was about creating this like, kind of like NPC like thing where you're like tapping different areas and like you're almost just kind of like button mashing to create totally new combinations. And in oh, some yeah. cases like people are they're not even button mashing, they're just going like like white keys like C, D, E, F. And it's like like Mihente is is literally that hook is is uh Excel preset where they just went like one key after the other. Which is fine. It's great. That's what these instruments are here for. And I love that. And that was another Kind of learning experience uh, or growing experience for me personally it was like, okay, well, what is my sound? And that, you know, oh, you, real artists don't use presets or real artists don't use plugins and these kind of other myths I created in my head. And I realized, oh my God, I've been building my own personal sample libraries with with output for like the last three or four years. This is 
This is a yeah. great upgrade. All, you know, the only problem is other everyone else has access to them, but <laughs> I'm not going to use them in the same ways that other people will. And so, yeah, I've always used a ton of their um, material. But it's always like the weird quirky parts, like the really noisy parts I like. Usually that I had to really fight <laughs> to not get them cut. Uh, like really dirty kind of samples that had... <laughs> Actually, the best thing you can do, and this kind of go, probably goes back to like now where I'm doing like granular manipulation with my orchestral recordings, is like the noisy things about it are like the most captivating. And I, it's kind of the needle is kind of moving that way more in terms of like sort of the indie experimental world where people are really kind of experimenting, but in a beautiful way. Yeah. But usually you don't want to make plugins. Well, back then you didn't. It was very much that clean, like east-west libraries, like we recorded this orchestra perfectly with a really low noise floor, and then we also RX the shit out of it. And it's like, okay, well, that's, yeah, that's great if you're like trying to make a clean demo, but like what if you're trying to make like a really captivating, like weird sound that, I think that's a horn or a string, but it sounds really cool. I've never heard anything like that. All of a sudden we started craving not themes, but rather sonic hooks to things like yeah like, like tone hooks um to compositions to film scores oh my god think about that film annihilation you know oh, yeah. portman you remember that like crazy modular alien sound that jeff barrow made for that it's like it's, it's like the coolest fucking thing ever yeah um you know that's it's not a theme it's just a it's a tonality it's a it's a it's a hook of like noise and and accidents it's really cool so Drawing those out of plugins was at first hard, and then it became essential to capture as many of those as possible. And I think that's why, I think Arcade, uh, their latest plugin starts to, I feel like I'm just repping a bunch of output right now. By the way, I don't work for them full time right now. <laughs> I just like using their instruments. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just, yeah, manipulating those accidents um, is kind of, yeah, what it's all about now, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, every time uh, we had Brian Zerling on the show and earlier we were talking about the early days of output, but uh, whenever I open like arcade, I'm kind of just mashing around, just like you said. Like I'm looking for like two things that sound weird together, that like loop around kind of like a little bit at a time and kind of like jerky and like that's- Yeah, jerky, the, exactly. The, the like totally out of rhythm. It. Yeah. And you know but why it's rhythm, jerky too is probably recorded in some tempo, miscategorized as like the wrong tempo. And then resequenced into a different tempo, and the swing is all off. It's some like seventy-six percent swing thing or something. Yeah, and yeah. it's like the coolest groove. And now the drummer is following it in your production. And everyone's complimenting you. I have this. You got this crazy groove, and it's just because you like someone made a mistake building something. <laughs> <laughs> totally, <laughs> it's so oh, true. That, that's amazing. Yeah, they they do uh, they do great work. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, that's actually that's where we met. Was uh, what was it? Working on analog air, is that what it was? Is yeah, we met called? through an output project. What did you yeah. what did you do? Did you create sounds? No, I was just doing some RX. Oh, maybe that was XL. It was the it was the brat no, it was the brass one. That was the brass and winds one? Yeah, whichever one whichever one that was. Oh, Me and yeah. a couple of the oh, guys were cool doing too. some RX stuff for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought you would have done XL because like I would have been like, Oh, Travis is like a crazy cool vocal guy. Like let's Let's go to <laughs> Maybe it started. That's probably what happened. It started by saying like, oh, we should use Travis. And then like it just got so busy and then we were almost done with the product. And then I just like remembered that and we're like, oh, well, we're making like brass <laughs> sounds. You want us to help? And you're like, sure, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we're like, we we pay money. And you're like, okay, that's cool. Um, but 
I think, uh, yeah, that one was really special. Brass of Winds. Um, just a lot of, again, happy accidents, a lot of weirdness. Just like the, the weird things that players do before they take the breath and at the end of their note and everything. Like when you start amping that up, it's like getting to magical territory. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Do you use that um, one a lot? Do you have that one? Um, I have I have all of them. Oh, well, yeah. Do I have all there of them? There you go. I think I have all of them. They're all like song starter idea generators yes. for me. Like yeah, that's absolutely. like there's such a like an inspiring base. You know, like like the way Signal will like develop a groove for you and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's just fun. I just I I love all those. You use I don't, Signal for layering a lot. Not too much. I also don't do as much music creation as I'd like to. So oh, okay. Um, I wish I did more. That's but. actually a really good thing to talk about too. Is like your kind of path and direction. I found a uh, a note I'd written down probably. A, 10 years ago, I was on a plane ride like back to the States and I was like confused at what I was doing. Um, as anyone is moving to LA for the first time, I'm sure. And I was like, you know, putting all these goals and I was like, I was going to be an engineer and I was going to like send my like resume to Capitol and like try to get a job all these places, you know? Yeah. Um, and cause that's just like where I'd come from recently and I was just really into it. Um, I think just the longer I was here, I was like, you know, I have so much of this background that I should be using it more. You know, the classical background, the songwriting background. Um, and yeah, I mean, talking about like kind of career and like where to, how to kind of elevate yourself and move through your opportunities that are presented to you. It's, it's all about, at least this day and age, of just like talking about how to kind of elevate your career and move it forward and, and push yourself into areas where you want to succeed it's kind of all about goal flexibility and obviously hard work and having as much uh, knowledge that you care to know um, as possible, but having like a wide array of knowledge because I can confidently tell you that if I had successfully gotten one of those capital jobs, well, maybe we would have hung out and met then anyways. <laughs> but I would still be doing that and then maybe, I'd, and, and maybe I, I would meet like a really cool like hip hop artist and that and then I'd get like a credit and that would be like my namesake and then I'd keep doing that and then I'd be like maybe like the string guy you know who worked with that you know what I mean and just kind of yeah. following that that pathway but it's all about just like having that flexibility I I don't know I've just always felt it's so silly to try to be like create these at least for what I'd even now I, having these like five ten year goals because I'm always pushing and whatever avenue I really resonate with, but also just being flexible when, oh, that's okay. The door is closed here because there's like 30 other people who've been here already. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. And, and realizing that like you're creating your own history and own story and legacy, that's really hard to comprehend until you've already like done some of it. And you start realizing you're already carving out this path. When you introduced me, you, you talked about some of this trailer music and, and music that has, has been synced in different places. And yeah, that just like wasn't a thing I thought about or like something that I like wanted to do. I, I loved like watching trailers always. It's like exciting. Sometimes better than going to see the movie, but I know it's, it's yeah. never like a thing where like, yeah, yeah, like I'm going to like build a website and it's like Cyrus Reynolds for trailer music and like hire me. You know, it just, I think anything, you just have to kind of go with the flow of, of whatever our opportunities are open and, and moving through those. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm working on a project right now that is, will probably be 
one of the most exciting ones of my my entire career. Um, and I, I'm just so absolutely excited and grateful to be doing it. And it's only the result of of working in other spaces that weren't very desirable, you know, doing advertising or, you know, just slogging out a bunch of work. And eventually that leads to one one connection to something where someone realizes your skill set and you can just walk through that door easily. Yeah. And if you have been trained on those opportunities because you're you're too good for them or you don't want that energy, I respect that. I think it's very important to have a lot of healthy um, like self-control and in, in terms of what gigs you do, but also having awareness that like, we don't know what we're doing or where we're moving. We're just kind of all like, like floating on the same Lizzie river together. Do you know what I mean? Like you can yeah, kind of like yeah. nudge it yeah. <laughs> and bounce a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really fascinating. Plus like the more skill sets you develop, it's funny. There's a funny meme, right. With, um, like a kid and he's like just cracked Ableton and then he's like the next like panels like mix and master services ready. You know, he's got like a thumbs up. Yeah. I love that. It's so funny. It's like everyone's story, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just start and then, and then everyone's off to the races, but we don't know like what we're doing at all. But that's and, like, uh, you get the, the beginner's brain. You can do whatever you want. You're not, when you don't have the rules, which is something that like, I think you were kind of hinting at. It's like when you, when you have that job at, um, we'll just use capital as an example, when you have a job at a studio and you're like, you're on a path and you start to see progress on that path and you're on that path and you're running down the path and then um, you play by those rules. But like by, like you were saying, kind of being open-ended and just exploring the things that interest you. I mean, that's A, fulfilling because you're doing what you want to do. But yeah, there's a freedom there that like other people don't have, which is interesting. I like that. It's a good perspective. I think, too, you have to be careful uh, and just aware as you develop a whole multitude of skills in music that you're able to kind of uh, position yourself uh, to jump into an opportunity and, and kind of create a sense of focus for the recipient, like whoever you're kind of like trying to work with. You want to kind of focus in on everything and make it seem like it's a natural... Not to say that you're manipulating anything, you're just kind of reducing some of the noise because I think people get scared about the idea of like being able to do many different things. I love it and I think it's like the way to keep the energy fresh in your own mind and the way to learn new things and how to synthesize new skill sets with each other. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but you know, if they see like, you know, Cyrus Reynolds composer, attorney at law, like they get confused, you know, so it's like <laughs> That's why the internet is also like a, a terrible thing, but also um, a powerful thing too, because we can kind of like, you can kind of do your own control on um, on just what everything, how everything appears. And you can kind of uh, just make sure that you're, you feel like the path you're heading in the way you're being represented is, is something that's working out for where you want to go. That's really important too. Um, yeah, everything kind of stays there forever. Like even in the case of this uh, trailer masterclass, um, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm working on something now that I'm incredibly excited about where I'm, I'm orchestrating for an artist. But beyond that, I haven't written any music that has anything to do with trailers for probably a year and a half now. And that Masterclass was filmed in 2018. So it's like, even now, it's like the question is, oh, is that relevant or does that represent me? Uh, is that something that like I feel like will help launch me into the opportunity or is it going to like hold me back in terms of people's minds and 
Maybe that's just a personal paranoia, but I've, I've seen it <laughs> manifest sometimes into real situations where like, oh, you know, or if I was like, say I was pitching for like a really high-end ad, like a Sony ad or something, and they're like, oh, we see like you did a lot of trailers, but have you done any ads? And it's like, what does that mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, and you're so certain that you can do something, but where they're coming from is the world's full of a lot of people who like, are kind of that kid with the thumbs up and, and the mixed master sign. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, yeah, I can do it. I can do anything. You know what I mean? And like, oh, and yeah. they kind of can. Like, you you just get your arcade and, you know, you put some production behind it. And and maybe someone thinks it's like really edgy and cool because you didn't know what you're doing. And then and then you got the job. The world is full of a lot of that. Um, I think, Travis, where, you know, where you really excel like is just like a deep commitment to knowledge into what you do into your craft and being able to like be flexible in different situations. Do you know what I'm saying? Where you're able to yeah. actually like back up what you're doing. You're not kind of just like a producer with some like engineering know-how. Like you're, you have a deep <laughs> commitment, a deep commitment to making records sound amazing. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. And then um, you made me forget what I was going to say. <laughs> well, Okay, so I kind of, I did my prep, and you know, after listening to, uh, to your story, a lot of my prep doesn't really make sense, because now I understand that you're kind of like, you're kind of going where your passion is leading you, and I had like some questions like, what would you tell like a young composer? And I feel like what you would say is that you just have to work hard and then follow what you're willing to give like 200% to. Is that kind of, is that kind of your story? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But don't ever forget like where you've come from and like what shapes you. Like you have to like throughout that while you're being a sort of a, a chameleon in the music industry into different opportunities, you still have to remember like or have an identity of like what resonates with you. And that's something I see a lot of musicians in the process of figuring out or or working on, you know, um like my wife, for example, she's been a session harpist for so many years. Um, rocking it, playing on The Lion King, Hans Zimmer, Green Book, all these incredible film scores. Yeah. And the last year, well, last five years really, but mostly in the last year, she's she's just finished her first debut album, her record, where it's her chance to tell her own story entirely, just using the harp and, and manipulated textures um, and effects pedals. And it's, it's so cool and it's so amazing watching someone define like, okay, I've been a part of all these cool things. Like, here's my list of credits, which is like, currency in this industry it's it's really kind of sometimes it's a bit nauseating it is um but uh, at the end of the day like what do you have to say you know and i think that's important sometimes to like just keep tabs on like and that doesn't mean like you have to be a composer to be a musician i'm not saying that at all what i'm saying is like does your mixing have a sound does your vocal production have a style do you have something that's iconic and definitive to just you because that's your true yeah. value moving forward. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you have a personality? Maybe you're like a wild personality, you know, and like you just on all these interviews or like you're a great hang and like that's a vibe <laughs> too. Like, no, like seriously, like how how many engineers have you seen in a room with like just absolutely killing the vibe for like a song? Like there's someone's in the booth and like they're just like such, it happens, right? Oh, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I have seen sessions end because of, of an engineer with a bad vibe. Or yes. get saved by like, you know, somebody that probably like an assistant that probably shouldn't say anything like cracking a joke during like some awful yes. moment of silence, you know? Just breaking that, yeah, that yeah. <laughs> that wall down. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You know, vibe is indeed an asset. Uh, right. How yeah. do you, how do you do that? How do you like make sure that your like attitude is always in top form? Because I I struggle with that often. You know, I find that I I don't do that many sessions anymore. I mostly kind of stepped away from from that world a little bit. You mix from um, your own place now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. actually, I I don't know what'll be in the edit, but the the thing that I forgot that I mentioned that I forgot was talking about being typecast. Like you're talking like, well, if they think I do trailer music, then they won't hire me for their their ad music. And it kind of goes along the the same way with me. Like I I was doing tons and tons of vocal sessions and I really enjoy doing pop vocal sessions, but eventually that's what I was. Like I was the vocal engineer guy. I did all the pop sessions and that's what that's the only thing I got called for. And the only way to change that was to step out of it. But uh-huh. to answer uh-huh. your question, um, I would always enjoy, you know, the people or I would always find something like something I, I loved, the melody. Like I was never I if I if I felt like I was starting to have a bad vibe, I just found a way to flip it. And even if that was like you know, this is a horrible story to tell, but uh, like even if it was playing a game with myself that like it would still be enjoyable, like maybe the the writer or the artist was just being like a little aggressive and they would be like, take it again from the top, take it again from the top. And like, if you weren't fast enough, then they were like starting to get frustrated. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah would, I've seen that I before. Would, <laughs> I would make it my goal to uh, to make a new playlist and start recording so fast that like the two bar pre-roll <laughs> got like the tail end of them yelling at me about how slow I was. Yes. <laughs> and so like, then it was like, I was paying attention a hundred percent and uh, I'm sure that uh, this will probably get cut out, but there was always something like, <laughs> no, leave it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was always something that like, I'd made sure that kept the vibe up, you know, for whoever and dealing with like a breakdown during a session when like two people maybe aren't vibing or, or God forbid people have a fight. I've seen that. I'm not a fist fight, but, I've seen oh, arguments like, like yelling at each other and like yeah yeah and that can be that can be really difficult to deal with but um the friend yeah, who I, I got me the job at Guy Chambers studio um did a lot of sessions with him continuously and he had one where where an artist just like kept booking out his whole new like boutique studio like day after day and and like you know it would just kind of drag on from like afternoon to like you know 2 a.m. he'd be sitting there and they'd be like okay, the artist is canceling, you know, we'll do it tomorrow. And then he'd like show up the next day and like the same thing happened for like a solid week. It was a very big artist, you know, and it's like, yeah. well, I guess it's fine, you know, if they don't care about how much money they're spending, but dang, that's like, it's a lot, you know? And I'm sure that happens. That's um, a tough one. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. Obviously he wasn't like a personal engineer that like someone was reaching out to. It was just like part of this like studio. So they just thought like, oh, whatever, the studio is expendable. Exactly. Um, the, the house guy just sat there for 12 hours and waited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been there. Man. Yeah, yeah but like having your head straight is so important for these things. Um, I have a tendency to kind of like sit in my thoughts and be quiet and people think I'm like judging them. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> or I'm just like thinking about like the most appropriate, like funny thing to say. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I think just having uh, that ability to to collaborate in a, in a great vibe. But I think that's kind of why I work with a lot of like, just a lot of the artists I collaborated with are just like a lot of like really sensitive, you know, kind, creative introverts, just because like, you know, we just get each other, just 
I'm like, you know, I, I trust you. I love your sound and your music. Go into your own space and be your magical being and just do you. And then they send back their magical being. And I'm not like, you know, forcing in the studio and like, do we have a vibe here or not, man? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think yeah. there's like a lot of like that aggressive energy people go at. And I think there's also a lot of introverts who have that like party extrovert, like switch they can turn on to. Yeah. Um, in like a slightly sociopathic way. Oh, they're just like, you know, I'm an introvert, but like, well, let's party. <laughs> I, got, um, I got one hour of energy to expend with all of you people, and then I need to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, well, but yeah, you know I think, what? I wanted to ask you uh, another question be before we, as we work our way to the, the close, about your creative process, because your, some of your stuff has been a collaboration between vocalist and and like your orchestral arrangements and they're all mm -hmm. like very powerful and dramatic and emotional. How mm -hmm. do those collaborations go? Are you writing pieces that people are writing to? Are you guys at a piano writing a song and then you're taking it to that dramatic place? Like what's that, what's that like for you? It's very mixed. I, I try to, um, I've first try to imagine the artist on the song or whatever, like the, the finding the right person for the song. I, I very rarely, by the way, have any success just like sitting in a room and like not having any idea what to do. And then we just like make something and like, and then we're like, oh yeah, that totally aligns with everything that we're trying to do right now. And then also the managers love it and we're just going to release it. Like that never happens for me. It's very intentional. It's like, yeah. all right, here's a sound I want to make. And then I make a whole demo. I make a, like a verse and a chorus. And sometimes it depends on the artist and, and how sensitive they are or how prideful they are in their own vocals or lyrics or, or whatever. But I'll kind of play that part really carefully and just kind of feel them out. And I'll say, here's the vibe I'm doing. Or if it's a really big artist and I'm really kind of reaching, I'll have to kind of finish it entirely and just be like, do you like this already? Because it's kind of a lot to ask them. And then also if they're a lot bigger than, and you're asking them to do the lyrics and the melody and everything on top, and you're not a huge artist, like producer or like kind of, you know, backing track artist yourself, then like they're not, they might get kind of weird when they're like, yo, I just wrote this whole song and like, you know what I mean? And yeah, so yeah. I really try to have as much of the vision completed so that they can like, kind of say yes or no to it. Um, so in the case of like the song I do with S. Carey, that was something that I'd, I'd written completely like lyrics and, and it was something very like a personal kind of a lyrics and, and message. But I was also, I knew it was the kind of the world that he operates in. Mm. And it'd be something he could slip into easily. And it, it lucked out that that was the case. And he just said, oh, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll track this. That's um, awesome. And then add his own level of amazing artistry to it. It was incredible. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes I get very lucky, too, where I'll just um, be completely messing around. One time I put a piano like clip on Instagram, like 15 seconds or 30 seconds. It was just me playing some cool chords. And a friend of mine... Um, who now goes by the artist named Folial, um, like downloaded it and put it into their modular gear and like in delays and like put it through the space cycle, I think. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the next clip they sent, they like sang over it. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then and they're like, so like, what next? I'm like, just keep going, you know, don't stop. Like you're onto that's something. Awesome. Um, but it's like, just like the journey of life, you know, like you meeting some person out in Joshua Tree and then you realize they live in, also in LA and you know you were too high at the time to like remember their name but you like got their Instagram and then you came back and then you like had an idea and like you liked what they did and then you sent them a piano loop and you know just like things like that is like making your 
musical output, like a journey of your life is, is really, uh, is really important to me because like, how else do you like kind of capture and define like who you are in, into your music? Um, other than just kind of like trying to copy the sound of Olaf Arnold's or something, for example. Um, totally. so it's, it's totally different for every artist, but in a whole album of mine, uh, every single vocalist will be different. And I think that's a great thing. It doesn't have to be a system, uh, at all for that. Yeah. So, uh, two questions before we go. Uh, one okay. being, you've done a lot of big orchestra, high pressure sessions. Were you conducting? How did like what was the prep like to uh, to dig in on those things? Because I know they're stressful. Sheer panic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I I've yet to go into a session like fully um, like comfortable and and early and and on time and everything. It's just you always underestimate how much detail and, and effort goes into like a, just a giant production, like that many people and all the parts and, and everything and but being able to be flexible and just knowing as much skills as possible. So uh, I usually orchestrate my own music. So I take it from MIDI into uh, the score. And I take a lot of pride in that process where I, I really think about the way the players feel while they play the parts and the way they feel together and the way they'll communicate and the way they pass off parts is really important. Um, you probably hear none of that in the end result, but it's really important to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, so uh, I orchestrate, then I usually give off the... Um, music to a copyist who usually creates the parts or um, sometimes if it's quite a low budget, I'll just create the parts myself um, kind of quickly and roughly, which is just, you know, kind of organizing the way the bars look on the page. And then uh, it gets put on everyone's stands and you show up and then that's kind of the magical moment where nothing else matters and you're just kind of winging it. I have had a couple of um, sticky situations where I was very late on a project. I was I was trying to write an album, like an orchestral uh, kind of very cinematic album, you know, that was supposed to use, be used for trailers. This is in 2019, and we were recording in Abbey Road and Air Studios with a massive orchestra. And I was going into it feeling quite excited. And then um, I started getting this pitch uh, f to be working on um, the Top Gun film, the new one. Oh, yeah. I worked yeah. on the trailer for that. And so there, we were creating a custom Top Gun, so I had to make a rework of Danger Zone for that, um, <laughs> which turned out kind of cool. And I kind of turned Danger Zone into this like kind of epic thing, and it was fun, but it completely set me back. So I was on the plane, like literally finishing these parts, orchestrating them, then trying to like get like my uh, you know phone Wi-Fi th plan on the on the plane, like while literally over like Greenland, and then trying to send it to the orchestrator, who was like they just hired a new guy, and it, it kind of went poorly because you know everything had been squeezed, and and the orchestrator did his best with the, the time he had, but. Basically, I got to the session and I was sitting there and I just looking at the music and I and I kind of didn't recognize like a lot of the way it was like written and structured. It was the same notes, but they're just kind of written differently than I had imagined, and I wasn't able to put my my touch in a, on it. And so we just kind of sat there, probably about ten or fifteen minutes, um, kind of telling the conductor one by one, like, all right, change this note to an E, like, change this note to an F. Oh, um, no. And that's that's very uh, nerve wracking because you know the guy who's paying for it standing behind your shoulder and <laughs> yeah. making uh, you know kind of sad jokes about how much it's costing per minute. But um, you know you just had to you had to <laughs> kind of roll with it and keep it calm. And the engineer I was working with is Jeff Foster, and I've had the um, the pleasure to work with him a couple of times. Uh, 
and I, I really love Jeff. He's, he's amazing. Um, and he was obviously cracking jokes too and being very sarcastic, but just like keeping your cool and in those situations is very important. I think if I just had a panic attack then, uh, I would have completely ruined it, but I just was like, okay, this is what we have to do to get through it all. And, um, it turned out fine, you know, and, and then it wouldn't matter other than just, you know, costing someone a little bit more money. But yeah, I think, you know, preparedness is really important. This project I'm working on now, I'm, I'm actually kind of, uh, I'm completely finished with the mock-ups and I've got at least a month to orchestrate. So I'm really going to take my time with it and like obsess cool. over the, the way the score looks and yeah, it really All takes right. some time to record. So it's a, it's a whole different process. I do like to conduct uh, when I show up. It's sometimes it's helpful to be able to sit in the, the booth if you're trying something and you want to know how it like fits into a dense mix. Yeah. But if it's an orchestral piece or something that you know can sit on its own, then it's really fun and really powerful and, and, um, just incredible being sitting in front of like a, a sound like that and, and kind of driving that train, especially the London players. I mean, my God, like, you know, conducting something that is that kind of vibrant and, and alive and, and massive. Yeah. So f in that session, for example, we had um, a brass section that was uh, modeled after the, uh, the Mission Impossible Fallout score by um, Lauren Belf. Um, it was kind of the Hans Zimmer section, but on crack. It was, it was like um, <laughs> two chimbasos in the center. I don't know if you do know what chimbaso is. It's, it's like an upright tuba okay. that uses valves, and it's very bladdy. It's used in Inception. Also, Wagner uses a lot of it okay. as well. Right. I, it's, I very, it's a tuba. It's the same range as a tuba. It's very splatty. Uh, so two chimbasos, two trumpets. Doesn't sound like a lot. Then we had, I think, like six or eight horns on either side, uh, like French horns. It was like a phalanx of horns and then um, like two or three bass trombones and then two or three tenor trombones. It was just a massive brass section. It was like 25 players, all in kind of the stereo effect. And uh, and some of those nice. sounds, like I've never heard anything like that. Like you'd think it would be just kind of a mess, you know, just like this, this really big, like angry sound. It was very angry when they got low, but it was so in tune, like the way the players really predict the way that their note will play in that chord mm -hmm. in that interval is just mind boggling. Like you kind of have to, and this is something I, I picked up while I was um, as a trombonist in the back of the orchestra is you have to know where you are in the chord because um, when you're playing an instrument, you're not using a mean tuning like a piano. So the way a piano is like these different notes that are equally spaced apart from each other using, right. using just tuning, which is like the most perfect type of, of tuning, I believe I said that right, just tuning, but um, where you're, you're tuning it exactly where it desires to sit. So the third on the piano is not right at all. You know, the major third, it needs yeah. to be a little bit lower, actually quite low. The minor third needs to be up. The perfect fifth needs to be a little bit higher than it really is. So these are perfect. And you, you probably may experience this with like tuning vocals or working in a melodyne, like just because it's in the middle of the bar does not mean it's in tune. It actually yeah. has to do with where like those wavelengths want to fit with each other, and that's yeah. that's kind of crazy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's it's in the I quantize it, but it doesn't sound in tune. It's like no, it's not because it has to do with in relation to the music. So yeah, it's 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 amazing what um, incredible musicians, orchestral musicians, can do in terms of like playing big, even yeah. though there's you know even a few of them. Just when things are in tune, they sound loud, and that's incredible. And the London brass is like that's a thing. Like no offense to it is uh, a thing, yeah. brass players over here, but London. Uh, oh, they know they're what's great up. over here. I mean, yeah. no, no shade. Or I just I have that's kind of the, my background, and that's and that's where I, I spent a lot of uh, my formative years. And like I just so have a, a lot little of biased. Uh, yeah, a little bias, yeah, a lot of love yeah, for it. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, it's it's a thing. The strings though, like the strings are incredible over there too. I'm just not like I'm like trying to sell you like get for the record in London. Um, but the strings are like everyone's playing like, you know, a Stradivarius or like some like crazy broke violin that it's like on loan from a museum and because all the players <laughs> there when you do it when you just go hire a session, it's not like a session orchestra. Well it is a session orchestra, but like it's like the principals from the top orchestras that like just played you know, Beethoven the night before at Symphony Hall. It's it's the top players in the city. Yeah. Like, and as a result, you know, and, and possibly much larger, larger than that. It's quite shocking. So like when we did some of this music, um, again, the session in 2019, actually that was the year prior, 2018, uh, recording Abbey Road, we had a string quartet in Studio One, which is also kind of a flex um, that we're all aware of. <laughs> but the uh, the quartet players were all like the principal players from like the Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, and I just couldn't believe it when I showed up, like seeing these players. I thought it was going to be like, you know, some chamber musicians locally or something. But I mean, that's that's amazing. These are these they're so dedicated and what they can do to uplift your music, you know, on the page. Making mock-ups is really difficult, uh, Travis. And a lot of people ask you to do that, especially when you like, try to say that that's what you do yeah um, they're like well cool but like we can't afford an orchestra or like or like they're like oh you think your orchestra will sound good on my song we'll prove it you know and you're like well pay twenty thousand dollars first and they're like no you know and so they're like okay i'll create a mock-up and so you have you have to create these incredibly lifelike mock-ups and that's where like output spiff are they come in in handy now where these samples sound incredible and you just have to make them sound realistic and and hope that they don't um take the life out of your the way you program or the way you're writing because when you're writing in score you're writing notes you're writing melodies you're writing harmonics relationships and, and being very like fancy with it all because you know it'll work great players can play things like that but yeah. when you're in the samples and you've got like this like sluggish legato and you're just kind of like creating pads i tell people like if you want me to like record pads like with an orchestra you're wasting your money it's going to sound pretty much the same like these these pads are recorded in their studios and they're going to sound the same here. And especially if it's behind like a big pop chorus, like don't even bother. Right. So you have to add something to it. And that's like, you kind of have to try to push the samples quite a bit to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole art in itself to get the, the samples to speak. It's so much manipulation of different MIDI CCs and mod wheel stuff. And like you can it get is. lost in there. Yeah. yeah. It's, I've yeah. always hated it. Honestly, it feels very programmy and, and nerdy. And it's like, there's some guys who really get into it. You know, they get on their, uh, their VI control forums and they're like, oh, well this contact CC library and doesn't map to your mod wheel. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's very like anti, it's, it's just very counterintuitive to just musicality and, I think you can, it's easy to get sucked up into that world a little bit. It's necessary, though, if you want to, I guess, be a professional at it. I, sometimes I don't consider myself a professional. A lot of these things, I, I don't. I, I usually <laughs> just try. No, I'm serious. Like I make a living making music, and I'm, I'm very proud of that because I, you know, I built. You know, both of us, we built something from nothing. Like no one's like, here's a career, or here's like a company you can work at. It's just like we built our own things from the ground up, but. Like I'm usually just creating, I'm being very stubborn in creating something that I like and then finding a way to get like paid for that thing, which is like, if you're, if you're like a complete professional, you're, you're able to like make anyone else's desires happen in any way possible. And I can't say I'm great at that yet, but um, I'm definitely getting better. <laughs> you got like uh, making a living as professional, doing what you want is art. You're a professional artist. We've created a new, uh, a new term here. <laughs> professional yeah. artist. There you go. Absolutely. Um, 
That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, this has been uh, this has been an awesome hang. I got my last closing question for you. Okay. Uh, which is, what right now is your biggest goal that you're willing to share? And what is the next smallest step you're going to take to get to that goal? My biggest goal is definitely to further develop my own sound, uh, my own calling card, something that defines me. And that just uh, involves making more art, making more albums. So I have another album in the works. It's a full-length orchestral album. So far, it's only instrumental, but it's uh, it's kind of taking shape into demo forms. And and for me, those small steps are taking uh, those little pieces and putting them all together in this big like orchestral tapestry. It's like digging into the minutia and um, and just figuring out how to do it. Also setting setting money aside from commercial projects too, just saying, okay, yeah, this is going to hurt this recording and I don't know what the return is going to be, but it's so important for my career because eventually someday some big artist that I absolutely love is going to be just like listening to this on their road trip up to Yosemite or something and then they're going to decide to come back to LA and call me. But I'm not going to know that because I didn't pitch for it. And it's just something you can predict, but you still have to create anyways. Yeah, um, That's something I struggled with for a long time is like understanding that like those hidden opportunities, you just have to constantly manifest them. Um, totally. So uh, yeah, setting aside just, just money for recording for what I need to get done. I'm actually beginning by recording individual soloists as, as if they're all in a room together, which has been really challenging in the pandemic. I'm not sure it's worked yet, but that's my vision for the sound of this is like this concept of like a nice like decatry in a room and then just like everyone like making a space and like the marimba is not like stereo and like up front and like, you know, perfect. It's over there in the corner and that's also perfect because that's the way like you know, we, we're used to hearing incredible recordings by like Steve Reich and Philip Glass and like, yeah. you know, just, just like a room, a real room of real people. And I think um, that's maybe my answer to this, like breaking out of the pandemic of being inside and making electronic music or computer music is like making music that can exist and be played by a real ensemble. And it, it sounds like it's in a room. Like that's kind of my antidote for it, at least. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. I love your, you're just like your fire for the realness and the art, the artistry and the odd and the different. And like, I think it's cool, man. I, I Thanks, super man. impressive. So I've loved hanging out. Um, we still have to hang out though. This yes. doesn't, this doesn't <laughs> fulfill our hangout commitment. So, um, do you, uh, do you want to share any websites or socials with anybody? Uh, I'll put links in the notes to your Spotify as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just check out my music. Um, if you, uh, feel like diving into any of these things I've been talking about, there's kind of a, a journey uh, that I've been on personally that you can kind of join me on, <laughs> uh, which is from um, sort of like very small chamber music to very big, you know, orchestral songs and into more kind of intimate um, orchestral writing again. So, um, yeah, I'd love to kind of hear what you think and check it out. And let me know. Cool. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much. I know you're busy. Thank you for taking the time. And um, thanks, Travis. Yeah, I look forward to seeing whatever you you got that you said you're working on that you won't tell us about. We'll see what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to share. Okay, thanks, man. So that's it for episode 41. Thanks so much for listening. I apologize for the audio issues. I hope the episode was still enjoyable. Thanks to Cyrus for coming on the show. Please go check his music out. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps the show out. And a reminder that there is a Patreon for the show now. If you'd like to support us in that manner, it would be greatly appreciated. And finally, as usual, don't forget to join us over at completeproducer.net and hang out with us there. See you next week.